This episode of Intelligence Squared U.S. is supported by our friends at Blinkist. The Blinkist app pairs down the key ideas from best-selling nonfiction and brings them to you in bite-sized text and audio. Get a free seven-day trial at Blinkist.com slash debate. And so we have an election coming up, not this week, not this month, not this year, but in November 2020, November 3rd, 2020. And unless something really out of the ordinary happens, a man named Donald Trump certainly seems to be planning to run. And is a second Trump run something that the Republican Party should be celebrating and embracing, or is it something to be very, very worried about? Well, that, without much more elaboration needed, is the question on the table for us, because we think it has the makings of a debate. So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. I'm John Donvan. I stand between two teams of two, all conservatives, but highly and sharply divided on this question. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and then our audience here at the K Playhouse at Hunter College in New York City will choose the winner. And as always, if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Our motion is this. The Republican Party should not renominate Trump. Let's meet our debaters first on the team arguing for the resolution. Let's welcome Jeff Flake. Hi, Jeff. Welcome to Intelligence Squared. You are, of course, a former senator from Arizona. Before that, you represented Arizona in Congress for six terms. You're the author of a best-selling 2017 book called The Conscience of a Conservative, A Rejection of Destructive Politics and a Return to Principle. Jeff, your book echoes the title of uh, Barry Goldwater's 1960 book, Conscience of a Conservative. So why did you choose that? Goldwater at that time saw a crisis of conservatism in his day. Uh, I believe that uh, we're experiencing a similar crisis of conservatism today. And so my my book was a rather modest attempt, after Goldwater's, uh, to explain this and to explain a better path forward. Thanks very much, Jeff Flake. And now let's meet your partner, Brett Stevens. Brett, welcome back to Intelligence Squared. You've been with us a number of times. Uh, You are a Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist. You're an op-ed columnist now for the New York Times, a best-selling author, senior political contributor at NBC. Uh, You have reported from around the world. You've interviewed scores of world leaders. Share with us your most memorable exchange with a name that we would all recognize. When I was young, I was editor-in-chief of the Jerusalem Post, and shortly after I took the job, I I took an irate phone call from Shimon Peres, the former prime minister. He was then the leader of the opposition. He claimed that we had missed his side of the story in uh, in a piece we had reported. It was all I could do to stutter out, no, we we have your, your, your side, it's just on the inside pages after the jump. The phone went dead, and a couple of days later, I received a letter from former Prime Minister Paris apologizing to me for missing it. And to me, it was a reminder that small graces should never be beyond the reach of great men. And I'd love to see that in our own president. Thank you, Brett Stevens. And the team arguing for the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. And we have two debaters arguing against the resolution. And again, to be clear, that means that they are for renominating Donald Trump. Uh, Our first debater on this team, please, let's welcome Chris Kobach. Chris, you have also debated with us before, so welcome back. You are the former Secretary of State for Kansas. You were an advisor to President Trump. Uh, Now you're an advisory board member of We Build the Wall, Inc., In your Twitter bio, Chris, you call yourself a full-throttled conservative, which means what? It means that uh, in a political race, you don't slow down, you don't turn a different direction, you don't stop. And it's a counter to what we sometimes see in politics of someone who will talk one way in a primary, and then as soon as they get to the general, they do the famous pivot, and then when they get in office, they govern in some other form completely different. And it happens on the right as well as on the left. And so it's really about honesty with voters. It's telling voters where you stand from the very beginning and staying on that path. I'd rather lose and be honest than win and have deceived the voters in the process. Thank you, Chris Kobach. And Chris, your partner is Liz Peek. Liz, welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. Liz, you're a contributor for Fox News. You're a columnist for The Hill and foxnews.com. You've written also for The Wall Street Journal, The New York Post, among others. Before your writing career, you were a top-ranked research analyst covering oil field companies, and you led the National Association of Petroleum Investment Analysts. So there's a career change. What What was that about? I was very lucky to be able to take a break from my career to stay at home and raise our three young children. 
And secondly, I grew up in a literary household. My father was a Pulitzer Prize-winning novelist, a longtime writer for The New Yorker. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I always wanted to write, so now I am. Thank you, Liz Peek. And the team arguing against the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. And so on to the debate. We go in three rounds. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. And up first for the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump is New York Times columnist Brett Stevens. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Chris, buenas noches. <laughs> On stage tonight, you have four people who identify as conservatives. Some of you in this audience might also identify as conservatives. Welcome to the Borough of Manhattan Endangered Species Club. <laughs> no matter what your political opinions, all of you have a profound stake in the outcome of tonight's debate. Whether you like it or not, there will always be a conservative party in any democratic society. Republicans aren't going anywhere. And the question we need to decide tonight is what kind of party should that be? Will it be the party of Abraham Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, John McCain, and Jeff Flake? Will it be a party that believes in opportunity and freedom, global engagement and fair dealing, and the importance of moral character in our leaders? Or will it be the party of Pat Buchanan, Steve Bannon, Donald Trump, and Chris Kobach? The party that believes in border walls and Muslim bans, truculence toward our traditional allies but ingratiation with Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un, conspiracy theories about the so-called deep state, nativism, and birtherism. Now, I can already guess what our opponents are going to say. They're going to tell you that Jeff and I, so-called never-Trumpers, that we're losers, that we speak for nobody in the Republican Party. As you evaluate that claim, please note that Chris just lost his race for governor <laughs> of Kansas. But it's true. Donald Trump definitely owns the Republican Party right now. He will probably get north of 90% of the Republican vote. You know who else once owned the Republican Party? Richard Nixon in 1972. If popularity of the moment were the only criterion in this debate, Chris and Liz would win it hands down. But anyone who thinks that popularity should be the chief criterion of political principle is someone who has no principles. But I can tell you right now that on the things that matter most, Donald Trump is no conservative. Let me ask you, would Ronald Reagan have recognized a Republican president who takes every opportunity to trash NATO and who unilaterally ends our military exercises in South Korea and who endorses the word of a KGB agent over his own intelligence officials? Would George H.W. Bush have recognized a Republican president who demonizes Latin American immigrants and mocks the handicapped? Would George W. Bush have recognized a Republican president who calls our free press the enemy of the people or forcibly separates children from their parents at the border? And would any Republican ever seek to question the courage, much less besmirch the memory, of an American hero like John McCain? Do you, Chris? Do you, Liz? Republicans must not renominate Donald Trump because to do so will indelibly put his foul stamp on the party. It will turn the party that once stood for opportunity and enterprise into the party of exclusion and the party that stood for courage and optimism into the party of fear. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brett Stevens. And that resolution again, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. Our next debater will be speaking against the resolution. Here is Fox News contributor and columnist Liz Peek. We often hear that the next election is the most consequential of our lifetime. This time, Republicans think that is true. We think the American dream is under attack. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders don't believe in the American dream. They think it has been profoundly corrupted by billionaires and big corporations. They think they need to fix that by imposing the kinds of programs that will lead us down the road to socialism 
as it is practiced in Europe. I believe in the American dream. I believe in a society that allows someone from the projects to become the head of Starbucks. I believe in the American dream that means that my doorman in my building, who barely speaks English, has daughters on the way to Harvard. I've met so many people with these stories, people living the American dream. Republicans believe that individualism, capitalism, and freedom are essential to that dream, and that those things are under attack in 2020. The left uses millionaire and billionaire as a slur today. Since when did becoming successful become a bad thing in our country? We all need to be worried about this. That is not a bad thing. Success is what has driven this country. Interestingly, while the left says the American dream no longer exists, Americans think it does. Pew polled Americans last year and found that an astounding 82% think they've either achieved the American dream or they're well on their way. That's an amazing number. We have to make sure that everyone believes in that and that they all have their shot. And there is no way that we're going to guarantee that if a Democrat takes the White House. So who can take the White House for the GOP? Obviously only President Trump. Why? Because he has indeed followed through on his campaign promises. He has had an incredible list of accomplishments. Those were listed by Brett Stevens in a column at the end of 2017, from which I'll quote, tax cuts, deregulation, more for the military, less for the United Nations, the Islamic State crushed, Assad hit with cruise missiles, troops to Afghanistan, arms for Ukraine, a tougher approach to North Korea, yes to Keystone, no to Paris, Wall Street roaring and consumer confidence high. Brett, I could not have done it better. Trump supporters will turn out in 2020 because of those accomplishments. They will also turn out because they're angry. They're angry at the liberal, liberal excuse me, media that has slimed their president. They're angry because for two years, a false Russian narrative hung over the White House, casting a cloud of suspicion. And they're angry that Democrats have gone to unprecedented lengths to undermine the administration. By the way, Trump supporters will not turn out for anybody else. They will stay home and feel aggrieved. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. Finding time to sit down and learn about a new topic can be a challenge. Blinkist is here to help. Blinkist is the only app that pulls the key ideas and need-to-know info from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down so you can read, listen, and learn in 15-minute segments. Blinkist is for busy people who want to get the main points of the books quickly without reading the entire thing. And more than 8 million people are using Blinkist. One title they think our listeners will like is Emotional Intelligence by Danielle Goleman. And for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com forward slash debate to start your free seven-day trial. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinkist.com slash debate to get your free seven-day trial. Blinkist.com slash debate. And a reminder of where we are. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this resolution. The Republican Party should not renominate Trump. You've heard the first two opening statements, and now on to the third. Here to debate for the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump, former Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Flake. You know, 30 years ago... I was a 20-something young kid in the country of Namibia in southern Africa, 1989-1990. I was there to witness Namibia receiving its independence. It came at a great time. The Namibian election was the same week that the Berlin Wall came down. The Soviet Union was in glorious freefall. Freedom was breaking out everywhere. Free markets, liberal democracy were spreading across the globe. It was a heady time, and people looked to the United States for leadership. The United States, particularly since World War II, has been that beacon to the world. We helped establish, we molded this international order 
that has led to untold freedom and prosperity the world over. We have trade relationships, security arrangements that have given birth to this kind of freedom and prosperity. Fast forward to today. What would a young 20-something kid in the country of Namibia think of U.S. leadership and what our leadership is saying? What do political prisoners in prison camps and labor camps in North Korea think when they hear our president refer to their president as a great leader for his people? Who do they think that we affiliate with? What about people in the Philippines when they see our president stand next to their leader, Duterte, as he refers to the media in the room as spies with our president laughing along with him? There is no replacement for U.S. leadership. We mean a lot to the world. We need to keep that. This president has not. We cannot go another four years this way. Those arguing for the resolution will argue that this president can be reelected. They're right. He can. And he might. But the question that we're trying to answer here, as Republicans, as conservatives, is should he be reelected? Should we go another four years? I think that four years is difficult enough to unravel some of the damage that has been done internationally to our role, to our leadership position. We cannot, should not, go another four years. We present and project values to the world, and that matters. That matters a great deal. Thank you, Jeff Flake. And our final debater making his opening statement against the resolution is Chris Kobach, former Kansas Secretary of State. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Kobach. Let's begin empirically. Since 1900, there have been 19 presidents who have sought re-election for their party. Of those 19, 14 have won. That's a 74% winning record for incumbents seeking re-election. It would be foolhardy for either party to give up the advantage of incumbency. Trump right now is the only Republican candidate who can thread the needle and win in the Electoral College. I think it's undeniable that the reason uh, President Trump won in 2016 is he was able to hold on to Ohio and Florida in the Republican column and break through the blue wall in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan. And it was a slim victory. He won Pennsylvania by only 0.7% of the vote. He won Wisconsin by only 0.8%, and he won Michigan by only 0.2%. Or to put it in raw numbers of voters, 80,000 people in those three states voted for Trump and in so doing made him our president. That's how close it was, and that is the only path to victory for the Republican Party. If we are going to win again, the Republican Party has to have somebody who can win in those three states all over again. And although we do have a strong bench, I don't think there's anyone in our party at this time who can do it. And so that is an important reason why we have to have Donald Trump. Now, look, if you're a liberal Democrat sitting in this audience right now, you should be jumping up and down rejoicing because I don't have any doubt about 2020. We're going to win 2020 with Trump on the ticket. My, my doubt is about 2024. I don't know if any Republican can do what Trump did in those blue-collar states and break through the Rust Belt. After Trump, we may be toast. Now, why is it that I'm confident that President Trump can win again in those three states? It's because he delivered on one of his main promises, and that was to look out for the American working-class blue-collar voter. And he has done so. The numbers are are pretty staggering. In terms of wages, uh, in the last 12 months, we've seen 3.4% increase in nominal wages. That's extraordinary. The largest wage gains in the last 12 years. Uh, It is a massive uh, achievement for the working blue-collar voter, and that's why blue-collar voters in exit polls uh, voted 66% for Donald Trump. And that's a direct result of his position and his policies on his signature campaign issue, which, of course, uh, is immigration. President Trump has done what no other presidential candidate has done in recent years, made that a centerpiece issue, and has governed with that as a centerpiece issue. He has recognized that illegal immigration really does affect all of us. Every state is a border state now. The cost falls overwhelmingly on the taxpayers, no matter what you think about open borders or immigration or illegal immigration. You're paying for it whether you like it or not. I want to talk about another issue where he has delivered, and that is, of course, on the issue of judges. 
President Trump said that he would nominate conservative judges, and he did so. And he's done so much better than past Republican presidents. And finally, I would note in terms of delivering on the issues he promised, the Heritage Foundation, 13 months into the presidency, said President Trump had delivered on 67% of his promises. They looked back to Ronald Reagan at the same point, only 49% of his promises. Uh, the party is going to fade very quickly if we don't not only renominate Trump and try to find somebody else after Trump, because if we don't, we will be a party of the past, like the Whigs. Thank you, Chris Kobach. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. Now we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters address one another directly as they take questions from me and also from you, our live audience, at the K Playhouse here in New York City. On the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. On the team arguing that there should not be a renomination, uh, Jeff Flake and uh, Brett Stevens, we have heard them say that... Trump may actually win if he's renominated, but they're really arguing that that's not the point, that the issue is that Trump uh, is among people who really don't exercise principles, that a true conservative, and they cite names like Ronald Reagan, a true conservative is one who stands uh, as a leader of uh, the United States as a symbol of liberty in the world, that on basic things the conservatives have always stood for, that uh, Donald Trump is not a conservative, and in the long run, his leadership of the party is going to wring out its conservativeness and therefore there will really only be a hollowed party left. The team arguing against uh, the resolution, Liz Peek and Chris Kobach, they are arguing primarily from a position of uh, practicality, a pragmatic issue. Can Donald Trump win? And could anybody else win if, there, if he were replaced? Their basic argument is he's the only candidate who makes sense for the Republican Party. He's the only one who can empirically win. He has the advantage of incumbency. They also say um, that he is the best defense, the best bulwark against the alternative, the Democratic alternative, which they describe as being basically socialism, that he's actually kept his word. He's kept his promises uh, on a range of issues that his supporters will vote for him because of keeping his promises, because of, in the particular case of blue-collar voters, their situation improving. So I want to go into some questions. The first thing I want to say is, uh, during the opening statements, I was almost reaching in my pocket for a yellow card uh, because it was getting a little personal. I would encourage the debaters to not have to name people on the other side of the table to make their arguments because as I listened to them, they actually weren't critical to the points you were making and it's not in the spirit of what we're doing. So I'm not going to do that because it didn't go that far and I also don't actually have a yellow card in my pocket. But I just want to ask to, to keep the temper a little bit uh, in line in that regard. I want to go to the team arguing against the resolution, which means you're arguing for the Republican Party to renominate Trump. And start with you, Liz Peake. What your opponents basically made the case, Donald Trump is not a conservative. Do you agree with that? And I want to know, does it matter? Um, I don't agree. The list of accomplishments that I read off started with tax cuts, deregulation, and went on to a whole series of things that he has done, including what Chris talked about, appointing conservative justices. I would argue he has had the most consequential conservative agenda of any president in my lifetime. I think what our opponents dislike about Donald Trump, and I think probably everyone in this room could talk about this, is his manners, his personality. I prefer outcomes. So, yes, I think he's a conservative. I think his actions show that. And, yes, I do think that's important, but I think winning is more important. Brett Stevens? Um, policies come and go. Many of what you describe as Trump's accomplishments, and I might agree are accomplishments, will vanish when the next Democratic administration inevitably comes uh, to power. But principles last. Principles define a party. When I was young, I was inspired by the sight of Ronald Reagan at the Statue of Liberty talking about the value of immigration for a very personal reason. My mom is a refugee to this country. Not one of you in this room is more than two or three generations away from someone that Donald Trump would rather not have in this country. Think about that. And think about what it says for the Republican Party that the message is that immigrants are a threat, not an asset to this country, which was a large part of what Chris was talking about. Do you know that immigrants, legal and illegal, commit crimes at a much lower rate than native-born Americans? That's a fact. Do you know that immigrants start businesses at a much higher rate than native-born Americans. That's a fact. And you know that if we didn't have the kind of immigration we had in this country, 
one out of three Nobel Prize winners who are Americans would never have made it here. So simply to have a president whose stock in trade is to demonize people from so-called S-hole countries, my family's from Moldova, that's an S-hole country, is not Republican, not conservative, and fundamentally not American. The, the point Brett has made is one that is one of the, the biggest uh, fallacies, factually incorrect statements out there that immigrants generally commit crimes, or they, they always conflate it uh, at a rate less than, uh, lower than U.S. citizens. CIS, Center for Immigration Studies, recently broke this down and, and showed very clearly using this, the actual percentages that, yes, legal immigrants do commit crimes at a lower rate. Because guess what? We get to screen them before they come in. And so you screen out those with a criminal history. Then you have U.S. citizens who are, some are criminal, some are not. And then you have illegal aliens who commit crimes at a higher rate, even if you don't count the crime of coming in illegally, which is a crime if they came across the border. So to the larger point of of packaging and conservatism, I think the conservative position is clearly on that issue, the one that Trump has taken. But look at all of the other issues. Taxes, constitutionalist judges, uh, reducing regulations. These are all core conservative principles that Trump has embodied. Let me take that very point to Jeff Flake. You you just heard some very, very strong conservative uh, uh, achievements by uh, President Trump. That are core. I don't think you would disagree that those are core. Why not bring that into your calculus when you're saying that he's not a true conservative? Well, that, that's only part of the, the equation. Uh, let's take taxes. We did lower taxes. I think that's a good thing. We, in particular, we needed to lower the corporate rate in order to be competitive globally because we compete globally. And hopefully we'll continue to compete globally with free trade agreements. Tariffs are also taxes. And the president has imposed tariff after tariff right now in ways that have put soybean farmers in Iowa, for example, basically having to receive federal assistance now because they would like to trade, but they can't because of counter tariffs that are imposed because we impose tariffs in the first place. Starting a trade war is not conservative. Republicans have, if there's any defining animating principle that we have had in the party for generations now, it's free trade. And, and the president has really tossed that overboard. Take that to Liz Peake. Okay. I would argue that we don't have free trade, that the United States over two decades has gradually lost ground, that the playing field is not level, that tariffs on goods that are made in the United States and exported to Europe even, our closest allies, are two to three times higher on average than our tariffs on those uh, uh, goods that are coming in for Europe. In China, there's not even any comparison. China, once it became a, a member of the World Trade Organization, has perennially cheated on Um, all kinds of aspects of their dealing with us, including obviously relying on state-owned enterprises and subsidizing those enterprises to export goods into this country at cheap rates, but also imposing very high tariffs. May I break in just for clarification to ask you, are are you therefore saying that we're in a situation where some trade warring is called for, and, yes, and, and, and doing it does not violate the sort of con- the conservative spirit. If protecting the United States' interests, which is what Donald Trump has over and over said he wanted to do, includes protecting our trade relationships, yes, that is a conservative okay. principle. Jeff Flake, in your, op- in, your, in your opponent's opening statement, they were making the pragmatic argument for who can win for the Republican Party next time around. And I think you and Brett are conceding it's very, very likely that if the Repo- it's plausible that if the Republican Party nominates Donald Trump, uh, they'll win. And if they don't nominate Donald Trump, uh, the Democrats will win. So, sorry? Possible. Possible. Okay, I'll switch it to possible. Uh, My question is, is that a risk that you're willing to take? In other words, somebody else challenges him in a primary, it either weakens him or, or, or in extraordinary circumstance replaces him, and he loses as a result of that. Are you willing to lose a cycle for the Republican Party? because of the principles that you're arguing? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, let, me, let, me, uh, let me talk about a corollary here. In 1994 in California, uh, Pete Wilson uh, was the governor, a Republican governor. He wanted a second term. There wasn't much excitement for a second term at that time. So along came Prop 187, a measure that went hard at illegal immigration to deny benefits for illegals. That's how it was cast, as a way to gin up the Republican base and get people excited to come out and vote again for Pete Wilson. 
It worked. Pete Wilson got a second term. Does anybody remember anything that Pete Wilson was able to do in the second term in California that justified the fact that in the past quarter century now, since Pete Wilson was governor or won that second term, only Arnold Schwarzenegger, who later switched parties, and an insurance commissioner have been elected as Republicans statewide in California. That's it. There are no Republicans representing California from Orange County, Reagan country, in Congress anymore. California may be a generation before they elect another Republican to office because that Prop 187 campaign, much like it has done elsewhere in the country, it can galvanize people for a while, maybe for a cycle or two. But in the end, it turns people off. It turns off minorities. It turns off women. So, it turns off suburbanites. So, so to boil, to boil and so it, you, you sacrifice a generation, and you think, man, we might get some policy goals in the next year or two. Look at the long term. Look at the long term at what you're doing to the party, because people don't want to be associated with it. So to boil it down, better for a Democrat to win in 2020 if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee than for Donald Trump to win. Yes, we would certainly like it to be a Republican. And this notion, this narrative that's been built up that Donald Trump is the only one that can cobble together the Electoral College and win is just a fallacy. Um, I would suggest that uh, Jeff is in in la-la land if he thinks the Republicans have a chance at winning California or should even be at this point uh, spending a lot of money and effort trying to win California. I don't think his his, his point was that it was an analogy. No, but but, but your your point is that we could, somehow we could or we could have if only Pete Wilson hadn't favored Prop 187. Most Californians don't remember what Prop 187 was, which was more than 20 years ago. It was, of course, something that he used in that election, but that is not why California is where it is in terms of the Electoral College. California is where it is because of demographics and because of the high tax policy, highest in the country in state taxes, that has pushed so many people to to Texas. And and this is one of the biggest stories in the news. I think we all agree. There is a mass exodus of U.S. citizens to places like Texas and Arizona, which have lower tax structures or no no income tax in Texas. And because of that, the Electoral Electoral College today is not what the Electoral College was 30 years ago. You have states uh, in the Midwest like mine that haven't voted for a Democrat since 1964, and they probably won't uh, vote for a Democrat for the next 50 years either. You have states that are going to be in the Democrat column like this one, uh, no matter what the Republican president does and no matter who he or she is. I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience, closing arguments, and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. Intelligence Squared U.S. will be live in New York on Thursday, April 18th for a debate on the practice of solar geoengineering. This is a technique where scientists would try to dim the sun to cool our global temperatures. For this one, we've got Australian Professor Clive Hamilton, Oxford's Anjali Bismawohanan, Harvard's David Keith, and UCLA's Ted Parson. If you're in New York, there are still tickets to the live show available at iq2us.org. You can also text the word DEBATE to 797979 to get a link for tickets sent right to you. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this resolution. The Republican Party should not renominate Trump. Okay, questions? Kelly Posner, Columbia University. This is for the opposition. And our children are our future, and educating for moral leadership is something that I think we all really have to care about. You spoke about how he says or acts is not necessarily what we have to prioritize, but when we have a culture where we see that reinforced and celebrated, do we have to worry about that actually undermining the very fabric of our future and what we're teaching our children? Um, Look, I'm the father of five young girls, and we are very, very conscious of what they watch on TV, what they're exposed to, and as parents go, we're some of the most strict there are. But I'm not afraid of of having them listen to President Trump or the way he talks, and the reason is... Well, no, you can, this is is important, because your your point is that there's a a character question, and there's... Look, this is one of the reasons... Trump won. One of the, the politicians speak in polished, canned terms. You have all seen it. Jeff and I have seen it, it where they just, every word is so fluffy and it's meant to appeal to anyone no matter where you are. Trump is very direct that he says exactly what's on his mind. I've been in cabinet meetings in the Bush administration where everybody walked out of the meeting 
wondering what was the president going to do. With President Trump, you don't have to be in a cabinet meeting to know what he thinks. He's going to tweet about it a, a, a few minutes after the meeting is over. He is the most open president we have ever seen. And so I think, yes, his coarseness is, is certainly a fact, but his honesty and directness with the people telling you exactly, hey, you may not like it, <laughs> telling, telling you exactly how he feels and is, is also refreshing. So I don't see his character as expressed in his criticisms uh, as being a, a moral factor. Chris, welcome to New York. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I'm going to not go to this side for the same question because I think we've, you, you guys have expressed your view on that question. But I would, does anybody have a question that's directed to this side specifically? Hello. My name is Rebecca. Uh, the question is, if Donald Trump wins, what message of hope will you give to Republicans that don't support Donald Trump? And what message of hope will you give to immigrants like me that now live in this country and will stay in this country? I guess one message of hope, if he wins again, is that we have limited the president's terms to two. <laughs> so, but, uh, but, but that's, that's a long time, as I said in the opening statement. Uh, we have a, a lot of damage internationally to, to clean up uh, after two years and what will be four. Uh, after eight, uh, these things start to cement. So it, it is a problem, but there is that hope. And I, and I do believe that the party will tire of it eventually. Um, the question was a little bit framed against your side, so I feel like I should give you a crack at responding if you want to, or we can pass and move on. I'd love to. From a, a, an immigrant's perspective, uh, I see the hope in several ways. One is wages, the 3.4% increases in wages. Those have benefited uh, people in uh, sort of the bottom half of the economic ladder, which is overwhelmingly immigrant uh, labor, legal immigrant and illegal immigrant labor. Uh, growth in the threes, percentage-wise, which is extraordinary. That provides economic opportunity for immigrants who are legally here in the United States. And finally, the people who are most opposed to illegal immigration are usually legal immigrants because they did it the right way. And so there is importance in rewarding those who do it the right way. Okay, another question? Right down front there. Hi, my name is Clara. I'm just wondering about the issue of climate change. Um, do you have absolutely no problem, first of all, not debating it as a policy, and secondly, of renominating a president who has basically dissolved the Environmental Protection Agency? Um, I, I want to let both sides have a crack at that, but it was I'm more of a challenge to your side. Lisbeth. Perhaps I'm wrong, but I don't think you'll find much sympathy for Green New Deal amongst these four people or other radical approaches to curbing climate change. It isn't that conservatives don't believe in climate change, although I don't think it's something that, like a religion, has to be believed in or not. I think we have to assess it, have to watch it, have to respond to it if it seems appropriate. What we are looking at in this country right now amongst conservative Republicans is the view that we don't want to give up one of America's greatest competitive advantages as we look at our place in the universe, uh, which is an incredibly abundant resources of natural gas and crude oil and also coal. And, uh, and, and you feel four more years would protect that. I, yes, I do. Okay, I I'm think just trying that, to keep it on yes. point, but well, I don't want to say too deeply. Let me say on point, though. Sure. I, I do think that that's exactly. an area where Republicans are very vulnerable. Uh, millennials, we're going to need them mm-hmm. in the future. <laughs> um, the boomers are going down. Millennials are going up in terms of a voting block. And they can't understand why, not that we're going to the Green New Deal, but that we can do something. And that we can do maybe a revenue-neutral carbon tax or something like that. And I think Republicans do have to, to get with the program if we want to be relevant in the future politically. And just to dismiss climate change as a hoax brought on by China or whatever else uh, doesn't do that. Okay. Um, I'm not getting many people in the back because I can't see. Yeah, thanks. Uh, if we go back a couple of years, Mr. Trump promised to drain the swamp. Uh, irrespective of the Mueller findings, uh, there were a couple of people who were found to have done untoward things and may end up in jail. Uh, there are a number of people who have been elected for cabinet posts who have insubstantive credentials to have earned those cabinet posts. Is this something that is going to continue? Is this something that would be a reason to... Okay, hiring practices are questionable, you're yes. saying. <laughs> Let's take the question... Uh, 
who would like to say that first? Uh, well, Brett I mean, Stevens. I think this is absolutely important uh, because Donald Trump was elected on the promise that as a businessman, he really knew how to get things done. But what we've seen in the management of the White House, how many chiefs of staff, either were three or four, multiple secretaries of state, defense, CIA, this is the management of this administration. And scandals at the Interior Ministry, at, at EPA, that's a serious problem and a serious failing that our opponents seriously, you know, simply don't want to address, Liz, which is that in addition to a foul ideology and a mood of constant denigration of our opponents, we have a government that's not functioning and an inability to pass any kind of bipartisan re- legislation. Think about George H.W. Bush raising taxes in order to balance the budget or getting the Americans with Disabilities Act passed. Think about Ronald Reagan getting tax cuts through a Democratic Congress. That's because Republicans at that time didn't treat Democrats as the enemy of the people. They treated them as partners in making the country better. Liz Peek. Uh I think I would respond with arguing that criminal justice reform was pretty much the same kind of achievement for this administration working across the aisle. Uh, In terms of the swamp, the swamp exists. Donald Trump talked about it because he didn't know how deep that swamp was. And I think think it's true. Uh, I think that he could drown in that swamp if he really took it on. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about lobbyists. I'm talking about the fact that special interest groups, not just corporations, but labor unions and other groups that are self-interested, basically own our representatives and our legislators. Okay, I have time for one more question. Who has a really good question that's going to, like, blow our socks off? Right over there. Hi, my name is Denidri, and my quick question is actually for Mr. Flake and Mr. Stevens. Um, Mr. Flake, you had said that you thought that conservative principles and policies would be advanced if Donald Trump weren't renominated and maybe the Republicans didn't win the White House for a cycle. And so I'm curious, what policies or principles do you think would be advanced if a Democrat took over the, the White House and then we had a cycle in 2024 where another Republican, what what? What would be what left? What, what, what does our side get? Okay. I'm Thanks. a Republican. Okay. That, that, that's a great question. So it's not to say that we want a Democrat elected. I'd like another Republican elected. But if we, if we continue and go with President Trump, I think that Republican principles, conservative principles, will be damaged more in the long run by having President Trump with a second term than they would by limiting him to a first term. Liz, Liz Peek, you get last word. Uh, no other Republican can possibly win if Donald Trump is not nominated. However, I think you go fast forward four years or during the next four years under a Democrat, which conservative principles are going to do well under that circumstance? And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate where our resolution is the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. And now we move on to round three. Round three are closing statements by each debater in turn. To make his closing statement in support of the resolution that the Republican Party should not renominate Trump, here is New York Times columnist Brett Stevens. I wanted all of you to get a little taste of what it means to be a journalist, and particularly what it means to be an opponent of Donald Trump as a columnist in this day and age. So do you mind uh, playing the uh, clip? This is a message I got. You think the pen is mightier than the sword or that the AR is mightier than the pen? I don't carry an AR, but once we start shooting you, you're not going to pop off like you do now. You're worthless. The press is the enemy of the United States people. And uh, you know what? Rather than me shoot you, I hope a Mexican or even better yet, I hope... I cut it off because then it gets worse. That's what we deal with. Liz talked about angry Trump voters. Oh boy, they are angry. They are angry at what? At me for expressing an opinion, for being part of the free press, for not liking the current occupant of the White House. Those sorts of messages are being relayed all over the place. The founder of the Republican Party, the real founder, Abraham Lincoln, talked about the better angels of our nature. He said that in his appeal in his first inaugural address. We have a president who every day consistently appeals to the very opposite. It's harming the American people. 
That is why Trump should not be renominated. That is why I plead with you to vote yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brett Stevens. And that resolution, again, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. And here to make her closing statement against the resolution, Fox News contributor and columnist Liz Peek. In 2016, after the release of the Billy Bush tapes, a lot of my friends said, how can you possibly vote for Donald Trump? And I said, because there is one issue that is most important to this country, and that's education reform. Hillary Clinton... Hillary Clinton, along with her Democratic colleagues, opposes school choice, and she opposes charter schools. Donald Trump supports school choice and supports also charter schools. In New York, fewer than one in five black kids is proficient in math in the fourth grade. Parents get this. They know that there's a tremendous disparity One of the reasons that Trump's popularity with Hispanics is going up is he's talking about school choice. In Baltimore, 13 high schools had not one young person who was proficient in math. This is a national disgrace. Democrats cannot take this on. They are in bed with the teachers' unions. They're funded by the teachers' unions. Donald Trump can take this on. It is my hope... It is my hope that in the next four years, they are going to push very hard on school choice. They know this is a winning issue with minorities and with the country at large. If you believe that this is a burning issue, vote no against the proposition that Donald Trump should not be renominated. Thank you, Liz Peake. Again, that is the resolution. The Republican Party should not renominate Trump. Here to make his closing statement in support of the resolution not to renominate former Arizona Senator Jeff Flake. You know, recently, recently it's been brought to the fore the kind of choices we have to make in terms of what party the Republican Party wants to be in the future. When we've had the president, for some strange reason, go after John McCain, I sat at the bedside of John McCain along with his family the day before he died. And we reminisced and talked about the kind of man he was and the kind of party he wanted the Republican Party to be. In a speech uh, not long before he died, John McCain said, we live in a land made of ideals, not blood and soil. We are the custodians of those ideals at home and their champions abroad. The Republican Party has always been, and needs to be in the future, the party that will be the custodian of those ideals at home and their champions abroad. If we don't, if we renominate Donald Trump and give another four years, that's not who the party will be. Right now, the Republican Party is the president's party. It doesn't have to be. It can't be if the Republican Party wants to be relevant in the future if conservatism is going to be ascendant for the long term. Thank you. And one last time, that resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Donald Trump. Here to argue against it, former Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach making his closing statement. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Kobach. Three points. First, I'd like to address something Brett closed with. He suggested that Trump's demeanor has somehow caused uh, incivility in politics. And he played one statement from one kook, and we don't even know if the guy ever did anything violent, but that's his own piece of evidence. Let's look at the real body of evidence. Did you know that there have been 334 hate crimes or bias crimes committed against Trump supporters since September of 2015? Look, we have been headed in a much more combative era in American politics. I think we all agree with, uh, with that. But I don't think anyone can honestly say it started with Donald Trump. We've been headed down this road for the past decade. Second point, we ought to renominate Trump in 2020 because it makes politics more entertaining. It's more fun. It's more fun with President Trump in the race. And I'll bet... I'll bet. Look, I'm a political junkie. I bet we all watch presidential debates, but I'll bet every one of you are honest would say, you know what? That debate between uh, Bush and Gore just was a real snooze fest. And most debates are. But with President Trump in the debate, you don't know what he's going to say next. His handlers don't know what he's going to say next. And that makes debates more interesting. And that, in turn, means more people watch the debates. Did you know that the first Trump-Clinton debate 
in the 2016 uh, race had 84 million voters. That is an all-time record in the history of televised debates. It even beats the 1980 debate between, um, between Carter and Reagan by 4 million votes. It blew away all the others in the recent decades. We get more people energized. We get more people activated. We get more people interested in politics. And so there is an advantage, regardless of your political perspective, of having Trump in the race. It's going to be a lot more fun to watch those debates. And if you're a conservative like me, I know my principles are going to be intact because he has done so much to advance them. So for all of these reasons, we urge you to vote no and oppose the resolution with us. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chris Kobach. And that concludes closing statements for this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now it's time to learn which side you have found most persuasive. On the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. One side argued for and against. And remember, you voted before and after the debate to tell us where you stood. It's your second vote that makes the big difference because we give victory to the team whose numbers move up the most between the first and the second vote. So here's how it played out. On the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. Before the debate, 61% of you agreed with the resolution. 21% were against the resolution. 18% were undecided. In the second vote, on the team arguing for the resolution, the Republican Party should not renominate Trump. They did not win Trump. Their first vote was 61%. Their second vote was 81%. They pulled up 20 percentage points, which is the number to beat. The team against the resolution, meaning they support the renomination of Trump, their first vote was 21%. Their second vote was 16%. They lost five percentage points. That means victory goes to the team arguing that the Republican Party should not renominate Donald Trump. Congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. Thank you, everybody. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was recorded live at the K Playhouse Theater in New York. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Leah Mathau is chief content officer. Amy Kraft is director of operations and production. Shay O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Aaron Dalton, Mary Dew, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.